Are we ready? We're ready. If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, that's your turn. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Well-researched, well historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast. On Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people. This podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for the Strange South. Yay! <laughs> oh, you're going freestyle. The Strange South. Uh, Marlea's daughter Coco did the Strange South. Yeah, intro Coco is for the us. Strange South. Like, yeah, uh, she's awesome. Voice, and she always, she constantly. Patrice asked all three kids to do it, and P- Coco was the only one that said yes. And so, like every time she hears it, she's like, "That's me." <laughs> they wouldn't do it. They were scared. They were. She was. She did it like five different times. She's like, should I do it this way? The strange south. Look out like, for that. No, kid. can I do it this way? The strange south. <laughs> I mean, she did like all these different voices. She was amazing. The strange south. So, if you may not know, I am Patrice Anderson. I'm Marlea Blades. <laughs> and we have started doing the podcast just off, just because we can. Because Patrice had a good idea and sent me like four page texts about it during my kid's (laughs) birthday party. Right. I got really excited (laughs) about it. And we've only been doing this about five months now, but we have over 22 hours of us drinking and talking about strange stuff. It's like what we do normally. And now we're just doing it on the air. Right. So we're recording this. Hopefully everything takes. This will be episode 21. Right. So hopefully it'll come out this week. This week, yes. So we're coming to you live from the Peerless Saloon in Anniston, Alabama. Yay! Thanks very much to Christy Farmer for having us yes, here, who is thanks, like working Christy. her ass off over there. Yes. And to uh, <laughs> Megan, who is also in here working. So please tip your bartenders really well and your servers because they're working their tails off for you tonight. Yes. Um, so... The reason why it's super cool that we're at the Peerless, I don't know how many, like some of you aren't really from right here and some of you are and don't know shit about this building, but um, that, hey, Tony. <laughs> the, um, so the Peerless is, uh, was established. Actually, I should have looked deeper into this. I don't know if established means built. But anyways, 1899 by Robert Garner. Um, this is debatably Alabama's oldest operating bar. And um, so the guy who built this place used a bottle of whiskey called Old Wildcat, and they don't serve it anymore, which is sad. But um, he also donated the money from this place when he died to the city, and they used it to build a hospital, which is RMC, which is just on the other end of 10th Street. So that's like trivia for you. This is on the National Historic Register. Um, And that bar, that massive bar, so for the people who aren't sitting here, there's like a just gargantuan mirror-backed arch behind the bar. And that was built for the St. Louis World Fair in 1904 and was shipped over here in 1906 and, and like, put in here. So that's been here since 1906. It's, it's awesome. It's massive. It's super cool. Um, and um, some of the booths actually, well, yeah, some of the booths over here that you guys are sitting on are just church pews that got sawed in half or, or whatever. And some of the ones back there too. And they've, a lot of them have been here for a long, long time. Um, and upstairs from here, from directly upstairs from where we are, is another room called the Atlanta Room. Had, have any of y'all been up there before? Some of y'all, some of y'all have been up in the Atlanta Room. So that used to be a brothel. And uh, there, were, there were four brothel rooms up there, 
and everyone had its own fireplace. And actually, if you go up there now, they, they rent it out for um, events and stuff like that, for um, parties and things. So not the brothel part. Not the brothel part. No. You are. Although they probably make a no, lot no, of no, money, no, 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 no. but we'll, we'll not talk about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're starting rumors. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can, if you ever want to have an awesome, cool party, um, call Christy and ask about the Atlanta room. But there, um, you can actually still see in the walls, like the partitions that they took out for the individual rooms to make it into one big room like this bar that we're in right now. So it's really pretty cool. But this place is also purportedly haunted, which is another reason why we're here. Yay! Yes. Don't hold back, y'all. Don't hold back. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the madam of this brothel was a woman named Lucinda Talley, and she parked herself at the top of the stairs. See, if y'all look back here, there's a sign that says the Atlanta room. You take a right through that door and go up the stairs back this way. And she would park herself in a chair at the top of the stairs. And there was a night where um, somebody was going up who the police wanted to get, and the cop came up behind him and shot up the stairs and shot Lucinda Talley dead. And so there are a lot of people who have worked in this bar before, who have seen a woman in 1900s clothing kind of wandering around. There are people who have seen things move in the kitchen and in the bar after hours. There are people who have seen glowing orbs in this bar. And the Oxford Paranormal Society has come out here to investigate it before. So if you look them up, sorry, this is gonna be a super burpy evening. Just so We do this aware. in the basement. You're like actually seeing what we are doing. Yeah. We're usually just looking at each other and like we got our blankets and PJs and yoga pants on just okay, doing that this. Sounds so nice. All right. <laughs> but so anyway, so yeah, the Peerless is haunted. That's the that's where we are. It's exciting. We're really grateful that they're having us here. So yeah, there's yeah, a lot of history venue. here. Yes, yay, the Peerless. Yay! Oh my God, and get food because their food oh, is amazing. Oh, the food is amazing. Yes, if you have not ordered, please do so. Do so we have? Um, we do are... have, I, th- I have a few things for post mortem. Do you have anything for post mortem? I don't know. Okay. I didn't look this week. I was That's too fine. nervous. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so, really, my post mortem is not talking not talking about what I've done in the past or, you know, any past episodes, but I was flipping through Facebook last night and a friend of mine who moved to New York said, we've had a second sighting. And I was like, what? And apparently when they moved to New York, she started seeing a little boy in her house, like walking down the hall. And she's not a believer. She's like, I still don't believe. She's like, but there's a little boy with a page cut that keeps walking through my house. Um. And then last night she goes, and my husband saw him tonight. So I'm hoping to Skype with her soon, and she's going to give us her story, and that'll be a cool listener lore. Holy shit. Yeah, it's not Southern, but she's from Texas, so that we'll count it as... We'll count it. We'll count it. And she lived in Mississippi, so we'll count it. (laughs) So that's excited. I'm very excited about that. And then we had listener Andy from Gadsden, who I met earlier. She drove down from Gadsden. She sent me, because I talked about Black Panthers and how people, like my granddad, always said that there's Black Panthers around here, but you don't ever see them. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a picture of one. So they... Oh, cool. And so I'm going to put this up. They do exist, but apparently there's like a denial conspiracy regarding the Black Panther. Like it doesn't exist kind of thing. Like a biologist conspiracy? I have no idea. Government. Biologist. Biologist table right there. <laughs> right? So it's like, no. <laughs> but I started looking into this and there's like some really cool Choctaw Indian folklore about that. So a little foreshadowing there of maybe oh, upcoming cool. episodes. So 
that is really the only postmortem I have. Besides Marleya, I'm going to go first. It really is Marleya's turn, but she has been so excited about her story that I'm going to let her like wrap it up since. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I know. I'm so excited. And the last time she was this excited no no about pressure. a story, it had to do with alien sex. So it's not that good, though. <laughs> so I'm going to trust her gut feeling on this and let her wrap it up. And I'm going to go first. I got to I got to say one thing first, because normally I do like box fan Chad segment. Oh. But I, I didn't prepare it this time. But I just want to point out yes. that box fan Chad is here for anybody that wants yes, to like geek box out. Box Chad. And, and, and bartender, bartender Courtney. Courtney. Next time that we do this, we will have a special drink just for the event that we noticed that we didn't do that and we're complete dumbasses for not doing that. Oh, yeah, so. because Lori was going to buy us drinks and she was like, you always have a theme. You have a theme drink. And we're like, I'm just drinking yeah. vodka. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. So I guess I'm going to get story. Let's get story. I'm going to get story here. Um, this story has a lot of things that I like. Um, it's about horrible people. <laughs> bad decisions, travel, poison, death, life after death, karma, and freak shows. Holy shit! Why didn't totally, you finish this I totally off? Built, it's like I built this up way more really than it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make it, make it good, y'all. So this is about the female outlaw Hazel Ferris. Okay. All right. Do you know who the... (laughs) (laughs) Yes! Yes! Okay. So, Hazel Ferris is the most notorious female outlaw of the the early 1900s and Alabama history. She was born in 1880 um, in Louisville, Kentucky, and we don't know much about her early life. We suspect she's an orphan. So let's talk about turn-of-the-century Kentucky. Because I had to do, like, I'm like, what was life back, like, then? Mm -hmm. How how did she turn out like this? And Louisville was a pretty violent place at the turn of the century. It was currently in the national spotlight. Are you ready? (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm not ready either. Because it had a gubernatorial... You said election. It, I did. Gubernatorial. Yes. yes, I did it. Um, that neither Republican nor Democrat would yield, you know, to the other. Oh. So they literally had shootouts. They like dueled in the streets. Oh my with god! Governors. Why don't we do that now? Yeah. Like, can we just shoot each so other? So everybody had a gun. Everybody had a gun, and so the governors were like shooting each other in the street. And it's the only time that Kentucky had two governors. Like they both claimed themselves as governors. So they didn't they, evict any. Like they were just. Both, they didn't like, settle it. It, it. They just had two governors, and I think maybe one of them died, and that's how. Anyway, anyway, so <laughs> my point is it was a very violent time for everybody. And also there was a tobacco war going on. A um, tobacco war? Against West Kentucky and Tennessee. And it, apparently it was like, again, like a little mini civil war between like the farmers and the sellers or the, uh, the buyers or something. Oh, it was just weird. crazy. It was just crazy. All this shit I was reading so like about Kentucky it. Kentucky is like, it was like chaos. It was chaos. So... By the time Hazel was 25, she was married, and we don't have a name for her husband, so I'm just going to call him Jed. Okay? Jed. Hazel and Jed. Hazel and Jed. What's were, her last name? Uh, 
Ferris. Hazel and Jed Ferris. Okay. Yeah. I just want to believe that she didn't take his last name, but that's okay. Um, so anyway, Hazel and Jed were no exception to this violence. They both drank a lot, and then they fought a lot. Okay. All right? Like bottles breaking on each other's heads kind yes, of fighting. Yes, pretty much. Like okay. fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. So August 6, 1905, they were fighting because Jed refused to let Hazel or give Hazel money for a hat. Oh, Jesus. Okay. okay. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about this. Refusing some women um, things that they want doesn't work out very well for the men. <laughs> Case in point, the Harper brothers who refused Viola Hyatt mm. of letting, letting her borrow their car for groceries mm. were literally picking up pieces of their bodies <laughs> throughout the county, yep. right? So, you know, Armory. Jed should have gave her the money. The argument led to blows, and Hazel picked up his pistol and shot him dead, right? Should have bought her the hat. <laughs> right? He died on their living room floor, and, of course, the neighbors heard the gunshots, and they summoned the police. So three officers came to the house, and when they came in to investigate, Hazel shot them dead. Oh my God! Like she took them out. Oh right? my God! She's like she's just let like loose. she's like, just she's like wild she's now. like she's like fuck all y'all. Exactly, <laughs> Annie Oakley, right? So she kills them all. Um, during the same time, a deputy sheriff was kind of passing by, and he heard all the ruckus and stuff. So he snuck in and was going to surprise her, and he actually grabbed her to restrain her. Oh God! Tripped over Jed's body on the way down, shot off her ring finger. <laughs> She got loose from him, and she shot him dead. (laughs) So she's, like, amassed, like... So she's on four now. She's she's on four. Her body count is four. Yeah, four. Body count's four. So she's kind of like, you know, obviously, oh, my God. Um, She broke free from, you know, the pile of bodies, I guess, and and took off and, you know, went on the lam. So um, nobody knew where she was for about a month, um... The state of Kentucky put a $500 bounty on her head. And again, $500 in, you know, early turn of the century was about $14,000. Holy shit. So they were, they wanted her, well, right? Well, she, she shot the cops too. I she mean, did. That's, that's what she shot yeah, the Yeah, so they were like, it was serious, right? <clears throat> so she ended up in Bessemer, Alabama. Ooh. So some accounts say that she took up as a sex worker and... During this time, right, so this was going on at that Mm -hmm. time, also in Birmingham, Louise Wooster was the famous madam of Birmingham, so foreshadowing here, I may do a story on her, because she was pretty badass as well. Awesome. Right? (laughs) So, one thing was, she's a sex worker, which is probably more reasonable, and the other said that she was a school marm. Or maybe those she are was very different both. things. <laughs> like, those are two maybe it was a, a daytime thing and then a nighttime thing. Oh yeah, you know, a yeah. dual life. I could see that. Yeah. I've known those. I know that. I know that girl. Yeah, okay, you know that girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so however, she remained a heavy drinker. Like she still drank a lot, um, and she found her a new man. And ironically, it was a Bessemer police officer. Oh. <laughs> so, um, they were engaged to be married, 
And I don't know if it was whether like a come clean thing. And I don't think with Hazel, I don't think she's like, she's not going to come clean. I think it was more of a drunk brag. I was going to say, I was like biting my lip. I'm like, oh, honey, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. She did. She told him. She she (laughs) drunk brag. And she told him about like, she's a wanted woman. She's murdered all these police officers. And of course, either it was because of his duty as a cop, but more than likely it was $14,000 reward. And he went to turn her in. So she found out about this and she loaded her whiskey bottle full of strychnine. Oh my God. And committed suicide. Oh man. So I'm sorry. I thought that strychnine was destined for somebody else. No, I know. Right. No, she killed herself. Um, however, the story does not end there. Um, well, actually, the story of Hazel the Outlaw ends there, and the story of Hazel the Mummy begins. Oh, my God. Yay, <laughs> Yes, <mummies>. right? <laughs> so Hazel's corp, back then, when you died, they took him to Adam's Vermilion's furniture store. <laughs> so that's where the coffins were. To be made into furniture. To be made into furniture, exactly. Um, but it was also a funeral parlor. And I guess that makes sense, right? It's multi-use. I don't know. When you, like, when I die, I want to go to, like, the Lazy Boy Furniture Gallery, <laughs> right? That's where you need to build my coffin. I want the recliner. Point noted. Noted. <laughs> right? Exactly. So, um, went there. Oh, crap. I think I got another page. Are you missing a page? I think I am. But that's okay. I'm going to wing it. So, they went there. And the rest of the story nobody, is Yeah, nobody fictional. claimed her. Nobody claimed Hazel because, of course, she didn't live here and she had no family. And the only person she knew turned her into the cops. Oh, um, son of a bitch. So that's the first thing that happened. Second thing that happened is she did not rot. Like, she didn't stink. She didn't, like, oh have anything God. like that. So he, the furniture guy, Adam, he had her for a while. And people would come in to buy that dining room set. And they'd be like, hey, do you have that dead lady? <laughs> That's that's in the back room. And he's like, yeah, you want to see her? And they're like, yeah, right? So he takes them back there, and he's like, hey, that's 10 cents, by the way. So he's like, oh, this is a good racket, right? So the furniture owner saw a way to make a buck. He charged 10 cents a person to not only view, but you could touch her as well. Oh, Um, and then he loaned her out to his brother in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> All right. So this is going on. This is like about a year after she died in 1907. Um, wind of her death and mummification got around to O.C. Brooks from Nashville, Tennessee. So he drives down and buys her body for $25. Oh, my God. And he takes her on the road, right? <laughs> So she's like now the sideshow, carnival, fairs, which were real popular around that time. And so for the next 50 years, he traveled with her around the U.S. and international. She had, she traveled better than I do. (laughs) All right. Um, It's estimated, this has floored me, it's estimated that he made $2 million off of her over 50 years. Wait, like our money or his money? What's the difference? What? Inflation. Oh, inflation. <laughs> oh, I was like, money's money. What are we talking yeah. about? Oh, okay. No. Um, well, he died like in, I don't know when he died actually, but in around 60s, 70s or so. Oh, my God. Um, however, uh, he wanted the mummy to stay in the family, so he willed it to his <laughs> nephew. 
We're going to take an awkward pause for a second while I find my place. <laughs> There's something on the back of that one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we do. We take awkward pauses. That's sometimes. not what I would like want out of someone's will. I don't think. Like mm. normally, it's like. Well, the I would like the china cabinet. Wasn't too thrilled either. What do you do? I mean, you really have to have you know okay. special facilities to so, keep the yeah. money. Well, he willed it to his nephew, and his nephew is like 13 years old. Oh my god! So he's kind of like, what the fuck am I gonna do with this mummy? I'm oh, putting her shit. in the garage. It's like a blow-up doll. It, yeah, yeah. Oh <laughs> no! I can't believe he went there. Oh man, no. Yep. <laughs> so he left. He left a stipulation that she wasn't to be burned because she sinned too horribly to deserve that, and oh. and he should exhibit her for charity, and all the money should go to the charity and not them. And I'm like, well, what the fuck, Uncle? You made like two million dollars off of her. I know. So why can't your nephew make some money, right? But. It's the 70s. They're creeped out. It, it's not the carny show 50s. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, and plus there's a mummy in their garage, <laughs> right? So um, once, you know, Luther got out of high school, uh, he's like, okay, let's do something with this mummy. So they went back home to Bessemer and they did a fundraiser for the Hall of History Museum. They're in Bessemer. Oh, okay. And they went to Tennessee and raised enough money for five Tennessee churches. Wait, say that again? They went to they took her to Tennessee and she uh -huh. raised enough money for five Tennessee churches. To build five to build, Tennessee churches. To build five Tennessee churches. Okay. Right? Okay. I guess you could still touch her. I don't know. You know, that's, it's I don't know. It's extra for touching. It's extra for touching, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, obviously, the family thought this is a little morbid. They, like, did their fundraiser and, and everything. Um, you know, they have this petrified person that's their family <laughs> legacy, and they're like, we need to kind of end this, Right. So they did one last show. In 2002, she was featured in National Geographic Channel's Mummy Roadshow as they, the wait, un, I'm sorry. unwanted mummy. They have a show they do. on National Geographic they called did. Mummy Roadshow? They did. Jesus Christ. It, I can't find it. They are not on YouTube. I wanted so bad to find that episode, <laughs> but there is nothing. And some, for some reason, weird reason. For some reason. For some weird reason, when I was searching this, I ended up on a porn site, and I can't figure out the connection. <laughs> I, I could not figure out how I got blow there. Blow, I must. I don't know. Maybe that's the connection, right? Oh, so Lord. they had this team of National Geographic experts, and they autopsied the body, and so new facts came to light. So she was full of arsenic. She just wasn't drinking arsenic. And so back then, they, like, dipped the body or soaked the body in arsenic, and that preserved her. Oh. She wasn't naturally preserved. Oh. So she also died in her 20s. Duh, we knew that, right? <laughs> Um, she had had a child, didn't know that, and she didn't floss. She didn't floss? She did not floss. Flossing okay. was not a priority for her. Okay. <laughs> right? 
Um, she did lose a finger, but probably she lost the finger during surgery, which I found this. I'm like, I'm still confused about that. Wait, but, but the they story think she, was that it got shot off, right? Was that? Exactly. Okay. But they think she died of pneumonia and not poisoning. Oh. So we don't know how much of the story is actually true or how much is actually made up. Mm. Um, in 2004, Hazel Ferris' remains were finally cremated and entombed in Madison, Tennessee. And that is my tale of the outlaw mummy, Hazel Ferris. The outlaw mummy. The outlaw Mary. <laughs> I'm good. I'll probably, probably one more. Yes. You know, it's funny because when, um, when we started talking about doing this, we never even thought about the fact that we, also, we always take like a bathroom break halfway through. And so it wasn't until we were sitting at the bar, like, in the next room that we were like, holy shit, we can't do that this time. <laughs> and so we, like, peed four times before we came <laughs> we out there. Did. And, like, Chad's promised to bring us, like, a, like a travel latrine next time. But, like, we're just going to sit here and hold it for now. Yeah, I know. All right. That was good. Oh, thank you. So Lori said there's usually a theme. Like, when she walked in and she, our friend Lori was, oh, I'm getting a Strange South-themed reminder to put up media for our show. Um, so Lori was like, there's usually a theme, and we didn't plan, you know, we never plan our shows in advance. So. No, it's like the night before, actually, like, maybe two hours before. We're, yeah. like, really organized. <laughs> well, but, That's like, I, and we've said before, you know, we don't, we don't let each other know what we're going to do before the right. show so that we actually respond to it like we would normally respond. Right. And so we, we unless we have, we're going to focus on a certain state. We don't have any planned themes and I, right. this is the second time in a row that we've actually accidentally done this. Uh-oh. Um, so we got the woo-woo going between us, right? We got right? the woo-woo. <laughs> because it was, um, we, did a, we did one about the, the Rockford Blue. house mm-hmm. and Haint Blue, where, where she covered what Haint Blue meant, and I covered a haunting that was really, really deeply connected with that. And um, so this is the second accidental one. It looks like I've got like a shit ton of notes here. I think these are all mine and legitimate. So sit tight and get comfortable because I got a story to tell you. I'm excited. Okay. So there are a lot of accounts of this guy, Carl Tanzler, um, otherwise known as the Count von Kossel, and uh, his bizarre presence in Key West, Florida. So I haven't done a lot in Key West because, you know, we don't really consider that the South, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's its own, like, right. it's its Tropical. own little alien place. Right. But you know what? I mean, it's got some fucking crazy stories in it. So I just took this one and flew with it. This was in the 30s and 40s. Most of what I'm going to tell you, though, right now comes from this. On Sunday after Mother's Day, my kids took me out to lunch at Waffle House because you know, that's what you do. And it was like the best fucking place to go to brunch. And... Um, and I sat down afterwards with mimosas, and I started looking up the story again. And I find um, the September 1947 issue of this pulp magazine called Fantastic Adventures, in which the guy that I'd been researching wrote his entire story down himself, in his own words, 70 pages. Oh my and God. so most of what I'm going to tell you comes from his personal account of what happened here. Um, so you, if you Google him, you'll find some shit. But if you look up this article and find it, you'll find some serious, crazy-ass shit. Um, so who is this guy? Um, nobody can really verify the early stories of this guy, Carl Tanzler. Um, by his account, he was born and raised in a castle in Dresden, Germany, um, which he said was haunted by his ancestor, and he called her the white woman. Mm. 
<laughs> Ew. Uh, <laughs> I don't like what this is going. I know. He was well, he was he was a scientific kid. He was super well educated. Uh, he had his own lab in his castle. Um, and he was very intent on his studies, so he focused on all that kind of stuff. And the white woman appeared to him when he was a young man, and she came to his lab, and he tried to ignore her because he's fucking doing other things. And he was busy, and he's like a good little German. You know, he's got like a job, and he's gonna do it. And um, she decided to be a pain in the ass, and she took his entire lab and like threw it on the floor. So like poltergeist-wise, she just threw all his shit everywhere. And um, so he, she had his attention, and once um, she had it, she brought in this apparition with her that was a dark-haired woman, a small dark-haired woman who was just absolutely gorgeous. And she told him that this was his promised bride. Hold that, on, hold on. Sorry, I'm confused. Go, go for it, tell me. I'm confused. Okay, so... The, I'm drunk, so this could be white, very confusing. The white woman uh-huh. is the ghost. She's a ghost, but she brought another ghost with her. Okay, that's what I was confused yeah. about. This person so. is not real. He is seeing an apparition with his ghost. What's in the chemicals in the lab? I have no idea. Okay, just... just <laughs> go ahead. Hallucinogens. I mean, yeah. Um, so, you know, she tells him that this woman that he's seeing is, he's going to marry her someday. And so to this, he pays attention. And he falls for this woman, this imaginary woman, instantly. And he never forgets what she looks like. Um, and what happens to him after that is kind of a muddle. It, like, in his story, he leaves Dresden. He tells stories to everybody. He tells stories about wandering around Italian cemeteries and working as a mechanical engineer for the Australian government before he got put in Trial Bay concentration camp in Australia during World War I, which I was like, oh, fuck that. That's not true. That's actually, like, a thing. There was a concentration camp in Australia that they put all the Germans in in World War I and kept them there until the war was over, and he said that that was where he was. That's where he spent all his time. He said that he earned nine degrees before that, and he unfortunately lost all his paperwork during the war. <laughs> That's but, convenient. Um, but um, he, he, like from medicine to biology to music and painting, like he said he knew everything and he had degreed in everything. Um, he said he'd been smuggled to North Africa at some point. He built a sea vessel that could do like deep sea exploration. He said all kinds of shit. Um, we don't know what's true of what this guy said. But listen, so here's one of the weird things about Carl Tanzler. He's, his own account reads this. I will not detail my four years in the Trial Bay concentration camp beyond the mention of the fact that I spent a great deal of time in constructing a pipe organ from seacoast debris with the help of some Buddhist priests also confined there. <laughs> and I was like, Huh. Come on! Like there is no way. But seriously, if you if you find pictures of him, there is a pipe organ that he built that he actually traveled with around the world and took with him every time he moved. He actually built a fucking Buddhist like pipe organ and he took it everywhere. So you never know whether what this guy is saying is true or whether it's false. Um, yeah. But uh, so you just don't know what to believe. Um, after the war, take that. Thank you. He traveled back to Germany, and if you, you know, he was very saddened by what he found there, understandably. Um, and his mother told him, go to America. Your sister's in America. She's already living in Tampa, Florida. Go there. So he goes um, in 1929 by way of Cuba. He goes to America, and he lands himself a job at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West as an X-ray technician. Um, so he's 53, though, by this time. And he's, so if you, like, picture in your head like a 53-year-old German scientist. And you're probably right. Like, 
He's he's like he's slim and short. He's like balding. He's got like little round wire framed. I know everybody's nodding, right? Because this is what we know. We know all the stereotypes of German scientists. He's got a little sharp nose and kind of like um, severe features, and um, that is that is exactly what he looks like. So just go on with that. Um, he gets a call one day on April 22nd, 1930. He gets a call from his administrator, Dr. Lombard, to go down and take a blood test for an outpatient. And in his account, he says that he doesn't pay any attention to her when he walks in the room. I don't know if I believe that part either. Um, but he kneels down, and the way that you take blood tests for this, like it's, it's like a, you ever had like the TB time test? Like they, they poke you, like they just prick you. And um, I think they used to do it in the earlobe. And he noticed enough that she had pretty ears that he wasn't going to prick her in the ears. So he kneeled down and he tried to take blood from her finger. And um, she, like, pulled back. Because, you know, it hurts people just, you know, prick you with stuff. And, um, and so he looked up to apologize to the pain. And the face he's looking into is the face of the woman that he saw in his imagination. With Well, okay, we won't say imagination. This is the face of the woman that he met when he was a young man in his laboratory um, that was introduced to him by this ghost. This is his wife that he sees. Um, so he says, in his words, he is thunderstruck. And he hardly hears anything she says after this. He says, her voice reminded me of a mockingbird's song in spring, which is, oh, so cute and lovely. Um, this is Elena Hoyas. She's 20 years old. He's how old? He's 53. Uh. She is gorgeous, dark-haired, Cuban, and he is a tiny little mad scientist-looking German. German man. Yeah. Um, but uh, she had she'd actually already been married. She was married to a man named Luis. She became pregnant with his child, and she miscarried, and her husband left her. So um, she's not legally divorced at this point, but um, she's stopped using her married name because it's pretty clear her husband's not coming back. Um, and they took this blood test away, and Dr. Lombard comes back with a diagnosis of tuberculosis. Mm. And so this is 1930. So let's learn about tuberculosis! <laughs> This is a bacterial infection, primarily of the lungs, causing blood-producing cough, fever, loss, uh, weight loss, fatigue. Um, it was called consumption. If you've ever, you know, from, from your high school, you know, literary classes, you know that, what consumption is. Um, and uh, it's called that due to the weight loss. And it was also called the white death due to the paleness of the complexion, complexion mostly by white people, I would assume. Um, in the 1800s, it was considered romantic to die of consumption. Oh, God. But mostly, again, by rich white people. Um, I mean, everybody's seen Moulin Rouge, right? Like, we're going to daintily cough into our blood-spattered lacy kerchief. That's what we do. That's what consumption was to them. There were stupid women in the 1800s who, like, tried to intentionally pale their faces to look consumptive because they're fucking stupid. And the reality was eventually this infection is going to take over your whole body and kill you. So there was it no was, cure. It was bacterial, so was it contagious? It was, it was very contagious. Okay. And there was no cure for tuberculosis. Um, so if, you know, if somebody comes back and says, this is what you've got, you've right. got a death sentence. Uh, right. And Carl Tansler, the x-ray technician, knows that his bride-to-be just got a death sentence. And he's just not going to accept it. So on this first oh, no. day, he meets her in this hospital. And he, all he's done is taken blood. 
By the end of her visit to the hospital, he's saying, I will not lose you. I will try every experimental therapy. Uh, I will do anything to save you. Uh, and that's not creepy at all. Oh, I fucking know who this guy is. <laughs> do you really? Have I you do. heard this story? I, I, no. I, I, go ahead. Have you met Sorry. this guy? I have, not, I have not met this guy. <laughs> but no, things are clicking. Things uh-huh. are... Okay. Sorry. Continue. And the things he agrees to do for her, he agrees to do at his own cost. So... And it's funny because you read this like 70 page memoir that he writes in this pulp magazine. And it's like, he sounds so lovestruck and adorable sometimes that if you just kind of forget that he's a fucking maniac, it's kind of cute. Um, but then he like, then he turns out with stuff like whenever, uh, whatever was left of my spare time, I spent on the completion of an airplane I had started to construct some time ago. Once Elena regained her health, this what? plane was to take the two of us to a South Sea island, which I had discovered for myself during one of my fishing expeditions, and it was a little paradise, and my dream was that Elena and I should spend our honeymoon there. He's building a plane. He's actually building his own plane. Oh my God. Okay. And um, it's worth noting at this point, too, that one, um, they just met... Um, she has no idea about this? No, he, she has no idea that he's like planning their honeymoon already right. in his homemade plane. And that um, they've had like two conversations. And number two, records show that Carl Tanzler had a living wife and two children living in Zephyrils, Florida. And he'd even by some accounts brought them over from Germany to be with him. But he makes zero mention of that in his own account oh, of all yeah. this stuff. It ruins the romance. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Um, so he does, her family agrees, you know, she's got a death sentence. So they're like, okay, this guy's dedicated. We'll do treatments, let you do whatever you want. And um, so he starts doing, he goes to her house. He brings equipment that he steals from his own hospital and that he builds himself. Um, and he tries a lot of experimental treatments. He's like, once he says he gives her an elixir that's made out of $20 of liquid gold and he makes her drink the entire thing. Um, it sounds like every time he's in the house with her, he proposes to her. And every time... Oh, she time, actually went to his house? Oh, no. He did all these treatments at her house. Oh. It's like she would, come, she would come to the hospital for some of them, and then he took all this equipment and he, like, put it in her room oh. and kept it at her house and would okay. do the treatments under her family's, you know, they wouldn't really monitor Nobody her. Nobody get, like, suspicious? It's super creepy. Yeah. Um, and then, so he asked her to marry him, like, every time. Right. And then... Her, her answer was, Fuck but off. we can't marry, Sorry. dear. No, no, no. Yeah. We can't marry. I'm not divorced yet. Oh, and smart. And even if I were divorced, you can't marry a sickly girl like me, mm-hmm. is what she's like. I'm like, Jesus, girl. I was like, you know what? This is how you get the full-blown crazy. You got to shut that shit down. You do. Like, right she should have shut it down, <laughs> right? Like, you can't. You can't. <laughs> You're responsible for this, sweetheart. Like, that's being too nice. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of course, he's not going to take the hint. You know, he doesn't take the hint. But obviously he's crazy. He is crazy as fuck. And um, so in spite of all this refusals, by this time in the writings that I've read from him, like he's already calling her his bride. He's calling her mother, mother. He's like in his head, he is married to this chick. Um, So one day he brings to their house a homemade high voltage transformer to do a high-frequency violet ray treatment on her, and her family just kicks him out because they're like, this is Thank the last God. straw. Like, you're going to electrocute yeah. our kid. Yeah, Get absolutely. the fuck out of my house. Yeah, weird little German Oh, my God, German creepy little German man. man. Go away, yeah. <laughs> and so um, in October 25th of 1931, Elena Hoyas dies of tuberculosis, 
And someone from the neighborhood runs and tells Carl that it's happened. And he just plows through everybody to get to the house to go see her. He plows through family and friends. He just, like, pushes his way through the door. Um, and he sits by her body, and he will not leave. And he agrees. He, he tells the family, let me deal with the burial arrangement. You know, and if you've ever... If you've ever mourned for anybody, you know, you know, you just kind of want to hand that shit off, right? Like, you don't want to worry about the arrangements. So he's saying, you know what, I'll take care of everything. I'll pay for it all. I'll arrange it all. And so they say, you know what, we are not made of money. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it. And so during the funeral and the viewing and everything, he just sits at the head of the cat. This guy who is not related to her who was not dating her in spite of his fondest imaginations. He just sits at the head of the casket while all her actual family members are like going by and saying their goodbyes and weeping, and he will not leave. And um, he arranges, and oh God, he tells her mother, I will not permit her body to decay. And says, if in the grave Elena should lose her hair, I'll buy her new hair and put it back on her head. Uh. What? I know. So Elena's buried in the cemetery, and he visits every day. Um, but he quickly realized, you know, it's Key West, Florida. You know, it fucking rains every day. And he's like, she's going to decay. Jesus Christ. I mean, like, so he, he gets upset because his not actual wife is underground decaying because she's fucking dead. And um, he's like, I can't let this happen. So he decides he's going he's gonna to make a vault to go around her, her, her grave site. So he buys another plot and he designs himself and engineers this giant vault to go around her space. Can okay. we see this right now? I mean, I've got this, video, I've, uh, got, I've got pictures. It'll on be my on lap. the website. Listen, man, after this, I pull up a slideshow and I'll show y'all all this shit. He, he called it her little house. And it was like, it really was a little house. It was squat, you know, but it had an entryway and potted plants outside and windows with curtains on it. And, um, you know, it was like, it was her house. So he had her exhumed to be put in this vault. And he himself took her coffin to the mortuary and took her out so that he could put her in this vault. And um, he said, when he opened the first, when he opened the coffin that was in there that was kind of starting to decay, he said, decay had set in in a most disheartening manner. And I'm like, well, no fucking shit, Sherlock. It's like she's been underground for like a month and a half by now at least. Oh, gross. And it's like he's really surprised, you know, he's surprised at this. And he said there's an odor, but he's, he's absolutely there's convinced odor. <laughs> this odor comes from the coffin and not from the girl. That's what he writes in his set. This is a coffin. It's all the coffin. Uh -huh. And um, so he sterilizes her. He, um, he gets this massive metal coffin and he gets, he creates this incubator tank. He puts her in an incubator filled with chemicals with a valve on the top that he can release or close. And then he puts that incubator inside a giant airtight metal casket and locks it shut with multiple snap locks. And then he takes it to the vault and he puts it inside. And every day for 18 months, he visits her in her little house. He pickled in her. In the cemetery. What'd you say? He pickled her. He pickled her. She's a pickle. She's a pickle. Okay. So, um, one, so one night when he's visiting her, you know, he sits, he'll sit there all night and he'll, he just falls asleep against the wall and he, he's asleep and he hears this crash inside the vault and he looks up, this is all his account, all the locks on the metal casket have snapped open and he hears this like tap, 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 
tap inside the casket. And so, of course, you know what you're going to do. You get up, you go check it out. So, <laughs> oh, my God. He, he untwists the valve from this incubator tank. And he says that the smell that comes out was exactly like the healthy and agreeable odor of a young woman's skin on a warm day. Right? I'm like, fucking bullshit, man. That is not what that smells like. He says, though, that she... So he puts his ear down to this, like, stink valve. And he, um, he's, she speaks to him, he says, out of this incubator. And she says, have I really died? And he says, no, your body is asleep and your spirit is dreaming. And this is something he apparently like deeply believes is true because elsewhere in his account, Tanzer writes like, modern science has advanced far enough to prove that death is not always final. In reality, death is just the first severe shock. Real or final shock may follow, but not invariably. Like he implies that people who are embalmed like regularly come back to life and actually die the second time when realizing that their body is no longer suitable for living in, and that he's like really pissed off at like mortuary people who like embalm people because he's like, you're just money hungry bastards and you're stopping people from coming back from, to their bodies. Like he's really pissed about this. And um, so he says, when the body dies the second time, the second time, nothing can bring it back. It's like he took all those axioms about death and he just added like the second time to suit his own, like his own situation. And like, because he is that distance from reality at this point. Um, so he's in this vault, he's listening to a stink tube talking to him. And um, he says, she asks him to come home with him. And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, of course. Come home with me, corpse. And it's like Easter anyway. So he's like, yay, resurrection. It's like a miracle. And um, so she gives him instructions to tell him how to get out of the graveyard without being noticed. She's like, like Margie over here in this plot over here, she's going to help you out. She's like, this lady over here will tell you where to go. And so he, he comes back. He throws a curtain or a blanket over the fence to provide some cover. He takes a child's red wagon to his vault, loads her big-ass coffin onto it, and drags her out of the fucking cemetery. Oh, God. Thank God it was the coffin. I, I, I thought it was just going to be corpse. Oh, no. Hold and, tight. And, hold okay. tight now. Okay. I ain't done yet. Hold on. <laughs> He's, in his account, he says all the souls come up out of the ground and throw a party for them. They're throwing a wedding march as they go out of the cemetery. All the spirits and angels are meeting them, and they are just having a rejoicing party. So he's super excited about this. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Spoilers, Teresa. So um, after, so after this little ghost party, you know, he takes a break in an abandoned house. Um, he actually falls through the fort, drops her casket on himself, and soaks himself in death syrup. And then um, he finally gets Elena to his house, and that's where it gets weird. <laughs> um. So uh, I, I just, I'm sorry, I have to read this straight from, straight from what he wrote, because otherwise I don't think I can do it justice. Um, he said, I looked into the deep fallen cavities of the eyes, like deep empty black holes. I saw her dried up lips slightly parted with her white teeth gleaming puke. between them. Sorry. Go Did ahead. anybody order food? <laughs> I'm so sorry, Georgia. She's like, I can take it, it's fine. Um, <laughs> um, let's see and when, uh, when looking so long and deep into these black openings when once her beautiful eyes shone so bright 
It was strange indeed. It seemed as if a pair of pupils were forming again deep inside. And then I heard her soft voice speak into my ear, now you will love me no more, will you? These words cut into my heart like an arrow. They set me on fire with sacred love for her. And kissing her dry lips. No. And breathing deeply into her lungs until no. her bosom rose. No. No. <laughs> I unpacked her bridal gown and covered her body with it. She looked so wonderful now. I could not resist the wondrous spell. <laughs> oh, no. And trembling with burning love, I sank gently into the coffin to her and kissed her as if she were alive. Life and death united together eye to eye. No. Except she didn't have eyes because she was fucking dead. (laughs) Mm. So the next day he said he was in badly, badly in need of a cleansing bath before work. And I was like, well, yeah. I don't think you you can scrub that off. I was like, man, live sex. You've got to take a bath after. Like, death sex. I can't even imagine how nasty that could be. Oh, no. 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 I'm going to give you all a minute. (laughs) So he still worked in a lab. And he took a little bit of her to the lab that day. And he pronounced her cured of tuberculosis. But um, so here begins seven years of happily, not actually wedded bliss with a fucking corpse. Um, He washed her. He covered her with cologne. He... um, I bet he did some things that he's not telling us. There are some things I'm gonna skip. (laughs) No, did he say so? No, I mean, I mean, he's like he he was trying to like get her redressed, and like you know, you decompose, so like parts of you stick to things that were stuck to you before. I mean, he's like he's having to kind of take her apart and put her back together again. Um, He removes all her maggots. Oh, no. True love. I'm going to have to That's talk to the biology table after this. You right? remove her maggots. Mm. Um, he, he, actually, he takes her rotted out places and he puts sterile packing in them to keep her shape. He bandages her fingers and toes, which are mostly dissolved. And um, so he washes her with like, he, he doesn't want to use like chemicals, like formaldehyde and embalming chemicals, because they'll like further hurt her skin. And so he, he creates these formulas out of like vitamins and glycerin and oils. And he, he washes her with them and then he feeds them to her. Mm. And he says that she gains 20 pounds oh <laughs> under God. this regimen. Um, he claims her nose reforms. He claims her lacerations heal. He claims that she changes. He covers, okay, so he has covered her face with a silk cloth because, you know, bugs. Oh, what are you going to do? Um, and so he can't kind of get it off because decomposition. So instead of trying to pull it off, he, like, covers it with beeswax. He, like, paints it with a, a clear coating. He's very proud of himself because he can still see her eyebrows through it. And her eyebrows are gorgeous. So he's like, yes, I've done a great job here. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God, your face is priceless. Um, And and also the beeswax is a very uh, effective, um, uh, effective protection against insects. And he sleeps in bed with her every night. He doesn't leave the house except to check the mail. And um, so they're together for a long time, you know, and the longer they're together, um, 
he starts to make adjustments because that's what you do in a relationship. <laughs> um, when mummification sets in, you make adjustments. Um, he starts giving her what he calls plasma baths to keep her hydrated. And bonus, these turn out to be a super great place to make out, apparently. Um, uh, do you uh, want me to read you the quote from this part? <laughs> he said, often, <laughs> don't step, we've gone too far. That's right. Um, often I kissed her rosy lips while she was lying in the bath, thereby, oh my God, I love this part, thereby getting always a liberal taste of the surrounding fluid myself. Which is indeed an analysis. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Um, oh so, my and, God. and eventually, so the whole point of this is he's eventually planning to transfuse living blood into this woman again. He really does believe that he can bring her back to life. He really, really, really does. Because he's fucking crazy. is everybody else? Mm. He lives in a house by himself in Key West. You don't bother the weirdos down there. Uh, obviously. Um, yeah, they're still question. in Jeff Rillis, Florida, as far as I know, because they don't even come up. Like, it's like he left them up there. He may send them money. I have no idea where he's getting his money. Homemade planes cost a lot. Um, and so does, like, the electrical power for all these machines that he's running. Because this plasma bath, this is like... A I want to know, what is... I don't even know what plasma... Oh, plasma is, like, blood? Thank yeah. you. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. It's gross. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's gross. It's gross. Well, yeah. yeah. But, like, so, like, in his mind, they're having a perfectly normal wedded life. Like, he has Christmas presents for her. He plays music for her. He says they have conversations. I mean, they don't go on walks or anything. But, like, um, it's like every day is their wedding day to him. I mean, he's, like, madly in love with Bet. her. Oh, and um, because she can't fuck up. I mean, like, <laughs> like she can just be whatever he wants she to be. She could ask for a new hat. <laughs> <laughs> so um you know it's weird because he talks about it like if you if you if you want to go down this rabbit hole which most of you probably don't at this point but if you do and you find this transcript of this article that he's written it's like it sounds so normal like he thinks that this is so normal. And then he says stuff like, whenever I discovered another leakage, I sealed it up right away with silk and wax to stop any Ugh. plasma from running away. I mean like, just like it's just another breath, just he's continuing on with the same thought. Adjustments, right? You adjust. Um, but uh, he starts thinking that she's moving. Like one time he's laying down with her, he feels like she's squeezing his hand. He thinks he sees her like rising up on her elbow one day. Okay. So he thinks he sees her rising up on her elbow, and then he runs out of the house to buy beef broth. To I was like, is this like the, the food of resurrection or something? Like, she must have beef broth. So he runs away, and, and when he comes back, of course, she's stiff again, because, you know, uh, because of course. Yeah. Um, seven years, corpse. Seven years, a corpse. Um, so... You were asking why, where's everybody else? Right. So everybody else is like looking like with their face plastered to his window, watching him dance uh -huh. with a life-size doll. Bet. And the rumors start traveling around to her family. Uh -huh. So Elena Hoya's family believe that she's in a vault, seven years dead. And they start hearing that there's this weirdo downtown who's like maybe got her in his house. And so her sister, um, Nana, goes to the cemetery and she sends her husband, Mario, to bring Carl to her. And she says, open this thing up. Like, I wanna see my sister. I wanna know that she's in here. And he's kind of a dick about it, to be honest. But like, then he turns around and he's like, okay, 
you know what? Come on over. Like, come to my house and come see your sister. And so he brings this crowd of people to his house that's come with her to support her. And he opens the door and he walks them into his bedroom and he points to his bed and he says, there she is, lovely as ever. She's not, by the way. I'll show you pictures if you want, but she's not. And so everybody is standing there like, what the living fuck is happening here? <laughs> well, I bet you couldn't get in there without smelling something. I can't. Well, here, yeah. I think it, with all these chemicals, I mean, Lysol years, don't there ain't cover no that smell shit, left after right? <laughs> but so, um, so anyway, like, of course, they take off, and the next morning, the sheriff and, like, a whole crowd of people comes up to arrest him for um, tampering with the gravesite, for desecrating a grave, and for being in possession of a body. Necrophilia wasn't actually one of his charges. I mean, after this, it probably should have been, but this wasn't written until seven years after that. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, so they, and uh, honestly, he wasn't as pissed off about them arresting him as he was about them taking Elena's body and putting it in a wicker basket to take to the funeral home. Like, he was irate about, like, he was ready to tear somebody's throat out about that. But, um... They should have cremated that poor girl. I know. I know. They really should have. So, anyway, they, um, so they did, they took him in. Um, doctors examined him and declared him sane. What the fuck? They declared him sane. Um, but the charges ended up getting thrown out. What, did he have tuberculosis? Did he? No, he did not. He did oh. not have tuberculosis. I guess, apparently. Well, apparently death cures tuberculosis. We've discovered this. But um, no, it was um, they, the statute of limitations had expired. He had kept her in his house long enough that desecrating a grave had happened long enough back that they actually couldn't charge him for it. And she was a common law wife by then, right? And she was a common law, but. (laughs) By the way, bartender Courtney, this is fucking strong drink. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so. So they, um, they released him. They let him go, and he lived in the cabin of his homemade plane with her old coffin next to him, and honestly, honest to God, he had made a plaster cast of her corpse, and he left it in the coffin with him and stayed there and lived in that cabin of that plane. So he's like 100 years old by now. How many, he's how dead. He's got to be dead. I didn't even look. I don't even care anymore. Right. All the interesting parts are over. Right, he's okay. Like, but the one thing, the judge, even though they did release him, um, they did demand that her body be put in the ground where her family called for it to be put. Right. And so, oh, but this is not after, I forgot to say this. This is what really drew me to when you were talking about your story. Not after during the trial of, um, or, you know, on the upswing to the trial that he didn't really have. Um, they took her body to a funeral home and they charged a dollar a person to come see it. 7,000 people came Dang. to see her. Uh, let's see, it was 1940 when he was arrested. Wow. So, um, so Yeah. I guess that's the end. It's kind of... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, my God. I guess that's the end. Yes. Thank y'all so much for coming out. Thank you we for really coming. appreciate You've the support. You've been so much fun. Yes. Um, 
We've got t-shirts, we've got buttons, we've got stickers if you want anything. And if you have an interesting story, do not leave. Come tell us. We want to hear them. Oh, tell us, but then seriously, like email or text us tomorrow. Because we won't remember. So, like, (laughs) we're not going to remember what you said. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at thestrangesouthpodcast.com or on our website, thestrangesouth.com. Yes, thank you.